0: Turn up the motivation. You're on the Ziggler Inspire Podcast. Zig Ziglar wants you to be your best. Welcome to Zig Ziglar's Inspire Podcast. This is your host, Blake Lindsay. During the last few podcasts, we've really enjoyed some good teaching from Zig Ziglar during Sunday school lessons. I love it that you can apply them to whatever, your professional life and your personal life. Let's listen and learn from Zig.
1: You know, I just think everybody ought to have a little fun in life. I don't know if any of you noticed that or not, but that's just my conviction. Um, Here's some medical reports that uh, I found in more anguished English that I found to be rather fascinating. The left leg became numb at times, and she walked it off. Okay. By the time he was admitted, his rapid heart had stopped, and he was feeling better. (laughs) Patient had chest pain if she lies on her left side for over a year. (laughs) Oh, and on the second day, the knee was better, and on the third day, it had completely disappeared. (laughs) And uh, patient was seen in consultation by Dr. Blank, who felt we should sit tight on the abdomen, and I agreed. (laughs) Patient was released to outpatient department without dressing. (laughs) Oh, uh, apparently you didn't get that one. Okay, now, uh, <laughs> matter of fact, the redhead told me you wouldn't. The patient is a three-year-old who has been vomiting off and on for 12 years. <laughs> and the patient is tearful and crying constantly. She also appears to be depressed. Uh, now, you know, when you get medical reports like that, it makes you glad you're not in the hospital, doesn't it? Okay. Now, let's take a look. Today, we're going to talk about the choice is yours. The language of the Bible, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic. The New Testament was written in what they called street Greek. In other words, it wasn't the Greek of the educated. It was the Greek of the common man, and the terms they use are quite different. Now, You look at the Old Testament, and much of it is in poetry. Much of it is in technicolor. The New Testament is in black and white. You look at the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down. Now, think of the pictures as you go along. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The picturesque that is there. It's really something. The courtly Isaiah, when uh, he spoke, you know, uh, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Get the pictures here. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The pictures that are painted there in the eloquence of that, and then there's the uh, earthiness of an Amos, the the farmer uh, that is so vastly different. You see, I believe that the Bible is a completely inspired word of God. But he permitted the writers to retain their own personality, and that personality comes through throughout the Bible. But it is the inspired Word of God. As you've heard me say, I believe all of the Bible, from Genesis to maps, I believe that every bit of it is the inspired Word of God. I'm always amazed at the people who say, well, part of it's inspired and part of it is uninspired, and I've been inspired to pick out the uninspired Now, you're talking about an ego trip. You you look at the New Testament and the the language that is used there, uh, how direct, how black and white it is. In John 6, 29, uh, it clearly says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. There can be no misunderstanding of that. In Romans, the 10th chapter, the 9th verse, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from death, you will be saved. There's a difference in the languages of the Testaments, and yet you start at the beginning of the Old Testament, starting in Genesis, and all the way through, it constantly points out the coming of the Lord. You go to the New Testament and going backwards from Revelation right into Matthew, it all is the revelation, really, of what God is saying in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything points to Christ as Lord. Now, when we start talking about the Old Testament and the Technicolor and all of this, then let me emphasize, that some of you who are in here regularly know, I speak and write myself at the 7th grade, ninth month level, I do that because I believe it helps people to understand the simplicity of what God's message really is. Throughout it, simply, I love you. I went to the cross and died so that you might live forever. That's the message. We do not need a lot of serious Greek terms and so forth. Now, don't misunderstand. I have great admiration for those who learn the Greek, Because that helps them to understand and it helps them to explain to me what it's all about. But I really don't want to hear a lot of Greek when I sit down. I want to know that the Lord loves me, that he's with me every day. I want a word of hope. I want a word of encouragement. I want to know that he is there. Now, as we look at our perspective as how we can take the encouragers class and do some things with our life, let me simply say that you're what you are and where you are because of what's going into your mind. Now, you can change what you are, you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. Uh, Now, we have some interesting things that I want to share with you. We're going to turn to the book of Galatians, and in reading uh, the book of Galatians, in the uh, sixth chapter, the seventh and eighth verses, here's what he says Do not be be deceived. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will on the fle- of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Whatever you sow is exactly what you are going uh, to reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Well, what are the fruits of the Spirit? You know, we are familiar with the old computer technology. I haven't heard it in a number of years, but when the computers uh, started, first uh, came out, you heard it a lot. Gigo. Garbage in, garbage out. Well, we also know that if you put the good stuff in, you get the good stuff out. God simplifies it even more by saying, whatever you sow, that's exactly what you're going to reap. You sow the Spirit, and what's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such there is no law. When you sow the fruit of the Spirit in your mind, you reap the fruit of the Spirit. The message to me is extremely clear. Now, let me uh, emphasize something here. When he says the words, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. My favorite reference book is my 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. So I dug it out and I looked up the word mocked. Now, here's what it says. It's imitated are in derision, laughed at, ridiculed, or defeated. In other words, When you mock God, what you're really saying is, I'm imitating you, Lord. I'm making fun of you. I'm laughing at you. I'm ridiculing you. But God says he will not be defeated. It's serious stuff when we do things like that. Now, one of the things that always astonishes me are the number of people who go to church are the number of people who claim the name of Christ and yet take God's name in vain. Now, they might. Uh, I've had people say, well, they don't mean a thing by it. Well, that's too bad because God takes it very, very seriously. When we take God's name in vain, we really are ridiculing Him. We're mimicking Him. Uh, uh, we are poking fun at a holy God. It is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing for us to do when we look at the things that uh, we understand about what life is and about our thinking and the results of it, see, if you keep on thinking what you've been thinking, you're going to keep on doing what you've been doing. And if you keep on doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep on getting what you've been getting. Now, the bottom line is, if you're getting everything in life that you really want, that's okay. If you make absolutely certain that what you're going to be getting eternally is also going to be what you really do want. When we look at what Christ has to offer us, then since these are the things that everybody wants, uh, then there's some things we got to do to get there. A lot of times people say, well, Zig, you know, I've always done the best I could. I've worked hard. I've been a good person. I'm honest, and I've never abused my family in any way. I've done all of these things, and yet I don't believe the fact that I'm not getting very much. I don't believe it's really my fault. Many times I've heard that. And, you know, you might be right as far as your past is concerned. A couple of examples. Bill Glass, who has a beautiful prison ministry says that over 90% of all the people, the men particularly, who are incarcerated, were repeatedly told by their parents, particularly their father, one of these days you're going to end up in jail. You keep on doing that, you're going to go to jail. Now that mind is planted with that particular thought. And the imagination goes to work. And then it's reinforced every time the child does anything out of order. You're going to go to jail for that. You're going to end up in jail. Well, you know, when you put enough of that in there, then it begins to grate on you. I so well remember a story that Jim Sundberg told about the impact of planting thoughts. He was doing a revival in one of the prisons with Bill Glass and during one of the intermissions, he and Bill were talking. Jim said to Bill, you know, when I was a youngster, my dad used to play pitch and catch with me a whole lot. And he said, every time I'd throw him a ball, he'd say, son, that's the kind of throw that'll get you in the major leagues. Every time he'd watch me play and I'd get hit, he'd say, son, that's the kind of hit that'll make you a major league player. He said, when I would catch the ball real well, he'd say, son, that's the kind of catch that will make you a major league ball player. He said, I'm where I am today because of what my dad kept telling me over and over and over when I was a child. It just happened that uh, an inmate was walking by and heard the conversation. And sadly, he said, well, you know, I'm exactly where I am because that's where my dad told me I was going to be. As he sow, so also shall you reap. It might not be your fault about your past. For example, uh, you could have been raised by an alcoholic parent or by a television set. They say that the number one research indicates the number one influence in raising a child today, not his father, not his mother, but the television set. The number of hours that are spent in front of the TV set. 17,000 hours by the time uh, they're 18 years old. 11,000 hours of music. And you can read that, much of it, not very good music. 2,000 hours of MTV and uh, the movies. That's 30,000 hours of being entertained. It doesn't include dating time, talking on the telephone time, riding around time, going to athletic event time, and, uh, you know, going to parties. 30,000 hours. Did you know in 30,000 hours you can finish kindergarten, grade school, middle school, high school, college, medical school, and go two years of internship? Which seems to me a better use of time, really. But if you've been raised by a television set, if you've been abused emotionally or physically, raised by an alcoholic parent or a drug-addicted parent, if you've been physically abused, sexually abused, if you've been a victim of incest, you could have been taught to lie, to cheat and steal. Now, all of those things are in the past of an awful lot of people. They were taught those things early on. And when you teach somebody that, again, as you sow, uh, so also shall you reap. You could have been raised on uh, a language where a lot of four-letter words are involved, a lot of adult language. Now, just as a matter of curiosity, let me get you just uh, to casually hold your hand up. When I said adult language and uh, four-letter words, how many of you automatically thought bad words, filthy language? Can I see your hand? Well you see there's so many more beautiful four letter words like good and best and real and fair and hope and love an adult language uh, from my perspective always has been always will be integrity commitment resourcefulness dedication uh, words of that nature you see that's adult language A secure person has no reason to be obnoxious or to use filthy off-color language in order to get any attention. You think about the word loyalty and integrity and worship and servant and faith and all of those things. You could have been raised by a racist parent. And that would absolutely impact your thinking because, you know, you, you teach people what you know, but you reproduce what you are. And if you were raised by a racist parent, then... Uh, you know, uh, we, we need to, to understand that that might account for the past. But we also need to understand that we're going to have to account for our future. The day comes when we have to make a specific decision, and the decision has to be, here is what I'm going to do about my future. See, if you were born white, you're going to stay white. If you were born black, you're going to stay black. You're not going to change when you were born, where you were born, how you were born, or to whom you were born. You will not change one whisper about yesterday, but tomorrow. That's a different ballgame. And the good news is, yes, there is something we can do about the tomorrows, but we've got to start today if tomorrow is going to be the kind of tomorrow that we want it to be. Who are we going to listen to? We're going to be given some choices Let's look, for example, at uh, what God has to say. First of all, He tells us that we are wonderfully and fearfully made. Now He doesn't say if you were born white, you were wonderfully and fearfully made. If you were born black, you were wonderfully and fearfully made. He says that you were wonderfully and fearfully made. Uh, We read a lot of things in Romans two eleven. We read there is no partiality with God. In the book of Ephesians, in the 6th chapter and the 8th and ninth verses, we read, Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up, threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him." The Bible is so crystal clear on that. We read in the book of Colossians in the third chapter, the 22nd through the uh, 25th verses, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. Whether free or slave, black or white, red or yellow, there is no partiality in the way God deals with us. In Colossians we read, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. On Friday morning of this week, I went down to First Baptist Church to attend a funeral. Janice Masima was killed in an automobile accident. She was driving along, I believe it was about 11 o'clock in the morning. She had a blowout, lost control of her car ran into a pole, was instantly killed. Janice Masima had a big impact on my life through her song. She was a schoolteacher, a truly remarkable woman. Janice was the first African-American that I heard sing Sweet Little Jesus Boy. That is my favorite song. And I learned that it was written by a slave, That little song is so incredible. And as I heard her sing that beautiful song on several different occasions, it always just moved me closer in the direction of my Lord. There were a half dozen people there who gave eulogies for Janice. One of them was her accompanist, who, as he said, he was ridiculously white. But he said, when I worked with this beautiful lady, we were soulmates beyond belief. He said, if anybody could have just witnessed the way God used the two of us working together, glorifying Him. Uh, He said, I don't believe the word racist would ever come up again. It was absolutely an incredible experience. And one of those beautiful black ladies who participated in the eulogy, as uh, I believe, and I've said this many times, you know, white people don't know what freedom's about. We really don't, because we've never been slaves. But our black brothers and sisters, they know what freedom is about, because they have been there, and their ancestors, they've been victims of prejudice. And when they find Jesus Christ, they're able to express an eloquence in their voice, in their sermons, in their freedom that is absolutely unbelievable. This beautiful black teacher, who was across the street from Janice, they uh, said it was across the street. It was across the hall. Uh, as she was delivering her eulogy, she said, you know, some people say that we've lost Janice Musima, but that's simply not true. We know exactly where she is.
0: I'm a foodie and I enjoy learning about the process that brings great foods and beverages from idea to the table. And then I like tasting them and learning the nuances of what creates the most significant tastes from coffee to cheese to distilled beverages. I did a tequila tasting in Mexico and recently bourbon, Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon really impressed me from the story to the taste. I grew up in Kentucky where horse racing and bourbon are famous. And I got introduced to Heaven Hill bottled in bond bourbon. It's produced by Heaven Hill distillery, which has been and still remains family owned since 1935. And Go to shopify.com slash Kevin to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash Kevin. You all know I greatly value and pursue my health and wellness, and I'm always looking for better products and resources. Nutritional supplements are a staple for me and a must is a probiotic to support my gut health and function. A probiotic is something I've taken each and every day for the long-term cumulative benefits Seed is a company that makes a symbiotic, which is actually a unique mix of probiotics and prebiotics. Probiotics are beneficial bacteria and prebiotics are food for these bacteria. So seeds symbiotic containing both helps balance my gut bacteria. So together the seed DSO1 symbiotic benefits my gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. Taking seeds DSO1 symbiotic and avoiding the foods I know my body is sensitive to has taken me from constant digestive problems to almost... Almost none. I trust Seed's clinical trials and breakthrough research that's been published in top scientific journals. You can entrust your gut with Seed's DS01 daily symbiotic. Go to Seed.com slash drive and use code 25 drive to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 daily symbiotic at Seed.com slash drive code 25. 25 Drive.
1: Now, if you know where somebody is or something is, how on earth can it be lost? Well, you know, I never thought about it quite in that light, but it was absolutely so true. It was one of those things that really rang a bell with me. In the book of Acts, in the eighth chapter, in the 26th uh, verse, we again read something here that is quite significant. We read about an incident where Philip and the Ethiopian got together. Now, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now, let me tell you something, folks. I believe God put this story in here for a very specific purpose. I think everything in the Bible is for a very specific purpose. You know this story. The eunuch from Ethiopia was reading out of the book of Isaiah. And God put uh, Philip there and he uh, saw the eunuch and he ran alongside to him and he said, What you reading? And uh, he told him, What does it mean to you? Well, I don't know. Nobody's here to explain it. Now, that's not the verbatim language of King James, but that's what's going on. So Philip got aboard and he explained Jesus to him all the way through. And then the eunuch said, as they were passing some water, he said, Why can't I be baptized now? And Philip said, You can, and he baptized him. And the Bible says that the Ethiopian uh, went away rejoicing, but what happened uh, to Philip? Now, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. When I met Jesus, that's what I did. I went on my way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. God took him and put him over there. He had done his job. I believe the message is very, very clear God loves us all. I want to share something here that I believe is one of the most beautifully written things that I've ever read. I'm going to read it, uh, and it's written by a fellow named John Johnson. Where he says, by means we can only imagine, she completed third grade. He's talking about his mother. He is. She was then driven by poverty, by need, by want into the fields and kitchens of the Mississippi Valley. But she always lived in a valley on the other side of oppression. not a beautiful picture? But she always lived on the other side of oppression. Her body was in the fields and kitchens, but her mind was in another sphere in the first-class section. She was a short and forceful woman, not quite five feet tall with the family bow legs, a big smile, and a will of steel. She walked straight up, her head held high, a woman of stature and quality. She had known pain and discouragement and fear. Out of all of this came a special kind of dignity. The dignity of a person who had seen a lot and survived and wasn't afraid of the future. What a marvelous role model she was. Gertrude Johnson Williams was a woman of commitment and a leader in her home, church, and community. Despite the poverty and prejudice that surrounded her, she lived with a firm hope and belief that something far better lay in the future for her and her children I talk about hope so much because hope is the great activator. People with hope that their future can be better will do something today. The unemployed with no hope won't even try to get a job. If our kids are given hope, the chances of them self-destructing or involving themselves in destructive behavior are dramatically reduced. Hope is such a wonderful, wonderful factor in life. Her formal education was limited, but her common sense, wisdom, and desire were unlimited, so she made plans for a better future. Now, her plans included moving to Chicago. Things were better there than uh, they were where she was uh, working and living at that particular time. She had relatives in Chicago. She wrote, and uh, they said, you can stay with us if you can get here. Now, this was in terribly difficult times. She and her son John spent the next year saving money, working on jobs, doing everything humanly possible to accumulate every dime. It took them a full year in order to get there. Now, in the segregated uh, schools of those days, they were unable to go beyond the eighth grade. She put John back in the eighth grade for another year. She wanted him to be busy. But even more importantly, she did not want to get him accustomed to doing menial jobs. She wanted him to have those goals higher. They finally put it all together. They went to Chicago. And despite the fact that they had to live on welfare for two years, which was terribly degrading to them, out of it came an awful lot. Not only was she ultimately very, very successful... But John Johnson today is one of the 400 wealthiest men in America. Now, he was born in Arkansas City, Arkansas, on a muddy street in a shotgun house with a tin roof, faced every difficulty known to man. He's been a guest in the White House of every president since Eisenhower. He's contributed politically, socially, spiritually, he owns the largest African-American publishing company in the world. He also uh, owns uh, cosmetic companies and other business entities. Had an influence on an awful lot of people. Had all the difficulties of childhood, all of them that most of us can only imagine. And yet he recognized there was nothing he could do about that past. But there was a great deal he could do about the future. That's the message we want to... Deliver all the time. Can't change the past, but you can do a whole lot with the future. Well, what do you do if you've been taught anything along the way? Like, uh, you'll never amount to anything. You never get anything right. You're just like your daddy or your Uncle Fred or your cousin Sally. Or why can't you be like your sister? I wish you'd been the one who had died. A friend of mine's mother said that to him when he was a youngster. And his sister had died. She was the good one. You're the bad one. You'll never amount to anything. Why couldn't it have been you? Can you imagine what an impact that had on that young man? It took him a long time to get over it. I well remember I was in Atlanta. We lived uh, over there for a couple of years. One day a man brought his uh, three little girls, beautiful little girls like stair steps. And the way he introduced them to me, this is the one that won't eat. This is the one that won't mind her mother, and this is the one that cries all the time. Now, the instruction he was giving those two little girls: now don't you start eating, and don't you uh, start, uh, don't you stop that whining and stop that crying, and then you you continue to be disobedient. We were in a cafeteria line one day, and uh, there was a little girl who was crying, and a grandmotherly type lady leaned down and said, "What's the matter, honey?" And her daddy spoke up and said, she's mean. That's why she, that's plain mean. I was in Nashville on the way down to the gate to catch a plane. I passed a mother and a little girl walking along. And you know, since Adam and Eve, there's never been a child who moved at exactly the right speed to suit the parent. There's a little girl, a little guy, I'm sorry. A little guy was dragging his heels, you know. And his mother turned to him and said, come on, stupid, we're going to miss the plane. I was in California jogging. I ran past a grandmother and her little girl, about five years old. And as I ran past, the only words I heard the grandmother say, they're going to put you in jail for that. Five-year-old? Put him in jail? Now you think of the impact. All of these negatives planted into their mind. You see, if a person's been subjected to that all of their life, then, ladies and gentlemen, it's understandable why they're having difficulty today. But the good news, very simply, is that failure is an event. It is not a person. Yesterday really did end last night. Regardless of what that past has been, now sometimes it will take help. Sometimes it takes counseling. But regardless of what that past has been, there is hope for that future. Again, I can say very, very clearly, when I was 45 years old, I was broken in debt. Worked hard all of my life. I've always been optimistic. I'll take my last $2 and buy a money belt with it. That's my nature. I'm put together that way. I'd go after a Moby Dick in a rowboat and take the tartar sauce with me. And yet, despite all of those things, and I'd had some very lush and plush times, but despite all of that age 45, stone broke and in debt, I believe there is hope for the future. I believe it is absolutely legitimate hope. Now, how do you go about generating that hope? Well, first of all, a study done at Harvard Medical School revealed this. When you go to preaching or when you go to a seminar, the people who get the most out of it have three things in common. Number one, they go with great expectations. The more you expect, the more you get. You go to church expecting great things. The more you expect, the more you will get. You go to school expecting great things. The more you expect, the more you get. As a parent, I can tell you that my expectancy has a direct bearing on the performance of my children. As a teacher, I can tell you that my expectancy has a direct bearing on the performance of the students. As an employer, I can tell you my expectancy has a direct bearing on the performance of the employees. You go with great expectation. Number two, they take good notes. They write it down because that forces you to pay more closer attention, and then uh, you can reference back to it. I frequently say to you, What you really need is an ongoing notebook. I've got a dozen of these completely filled in the last five years since we've been here at Prestonwood. Every Sunday, if I'm not teaching, I listen and write it down. I go to church, and when Dr. Graham is preaching or anybody else is preaching, I write it down. It's a wonderful source to go back to, to take good notes. And then when the seminar or church is over, they have a sales meeting. See, one of the things that can happen when you have a sales meeting, it might just be husband and wife. It might be just parrot and child. It might be two buddies. It might be any two people. What does this mean to you? What did you get out of that? Because when you rehash it, you will discover that your associate got things out of it you didn't get. And you got things out of it your associate didn't get. You can teach each other. But more importantly, when it's reinforced in your mind, then some good things come out of that also. Now, let me also simply uh, say this. We're now getting to a very, very serious point that I want to make. you got to make a decision. Whatever your past has been, you can now choose to believe your parent, the alcoholic, the druggie, the uh, racist, the skinhead, the unbeliever, or you can choose to believe God. Now, that is the absolute fact of the matter. You can believe what somebody else has said about you being a loser. Or you can believe that God, what God said about you and his opinion of you, he thinks you are absolutely wonderful. Uh, He gave you a share of his very mind. He makes you a confidant. He watched you from the moment you were formed in your mother's womb. He knew you before you were conceived. He knew exactly when you were going to go home. Uh, He not only counted the hairs on your head, he numbered them. He knows all about you. And he says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now you can listen to these other people, and are they good role models, or you can listen to what God has to say. Number one, decide you want to listen to what God has to say. Number two, Remember, anything that can be learned can be unlearned. How many of you remember the story of the Birmingham lady that I told here very recently about this lady that hated everything about her job? And we taught her if she would just simply start counting all of the good things she liked about her job and then claim those good things about her job every night by looking in the mirror, that would be a radical change. Now, let me tell you what happened. She reprogrammed. She renewed, she re-energized, she redirected her very thinking. And once that thinking was changed, in the interim period, she was listening to inspirational messages on her cassette in her automobile, and she was putting the good stuff in, she was talking to herself, and in six weeks' time, there was a dramatic transformation in her life. You see what a lot of people do when somebody else tells them they're dumb or stupid or you'll never amount to anything, you can't learn anything, you always are late, you never get it right, you never look neat. I mean, they all, that, all of the negative stuff. Then, unfortunately, a lot of times if people reinforce that by saying the same thing, they'll say, Well, I never can get this right. I can't remember names. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm always late. You know, I foul things up. And when you keep saying that, you're reinforcing an opinion that you hated the opinion of someone else that said those ugly things to you. You would not now, as an adult, permit other people to say those things about you. Why in heaven's name would you say those ugly things about yourself? You see, the most important opinion you have is the opinion you have of yourself. The most important conversation you have is the conversation you have with yourself. Remember, if it can be learned, and if you know it, it has been learned, then it can be unlearned, and you can learn about what the God in heaven can do. There's so many steps you can take. We're going to be dealing with that on an ongoing basis. But ultimately, let me tell you something, folks. You might need a heart transplant. I got one on July 4th, 1972, when I met the person of Jesus Christ. And from that moment until this, there's been a radical change in my life. I was interviewed this week about the power of prayer. A rabbi who, in conjunction with Larry King, is writing a book about the power of prayer. And he was asking me some of my prayer experiences. Let me tell you just one of those. When I had been a Christian a very short time, a sermon was preached down at First Baptist. A young girl had been kidnapped. Richard Peacock the minister to adults, prayed the prayer. He prayed that God would build a wall of fire around this girl, protect her from all harm, and bring her back just like she was. When I heard that prayer, cold chills went all over me. I prayed a prayer. I said, Lord, I'm a young Christian. If you will build a wall of fire around me and protect me from temptation so that I will not have to use any of my energy to fight temptations. I will use that energy to serve you. I'm so grateful to be able to say that a loving God built the wall around me. I can look you in the eye and say I have not been tempted sexually. I have not been tempted financially. I have not been tempted to compromise my integrity in all of the 25-plus years since then. And, folks, it's been absolutely wonderful. Now, I assumed a great deal of responsibility myself. I prayed the prayer. But then I started being super careful to stay out of temptation's way. For example, I will not have a meal with a woman who's not that redhead unless there are two or more involved in the meal. I will not let a woman pick me up at the airport. When I do book tours, I always have either a male escort or two female escorts. No woman can pick me up at the hotel. Now, don't misunderstand. At age 71, there are not a whole bunch of lecherous females out there (laughs) waiting to pounce on me. Don't misunderstand. But let me just emphasize a point. The point I want to make is this. You ask for God's help, then you cooperate with the prayer. That's what I'm saying. Let's pray, shall we? Our Father, what a wonderful Lord you are. How gracious and good you are. How wonderful to know, Lord, that regardless of what we've done in the past or what's been done in the past, that you're a great God, that you can forgive not only ourselves, but you can forgive the perpetrator of whatever the deed might have been. You will, will wash our Sheets clean, and you've told us, Lord, that though our sins be as scarlet, you will wash them as white as snow. How wonderful to know that, Lord. How wonderful to know about the investment you've made in us through the sacrifice and the death of your son, Jesus Christ. How marvelous to know, Lord, that his blood has washed away our sins, that when we choose to invite him into our hearts, that we can start over Oh, Lord, in a humorous sort of way, don't we wish our creditors would do us that way? Wouldn't it be marvelous to get home and find out that the mortgage has been paid off, that all lifetime grocery bills have been paid off, that the car payment is paid off, that the bank note is paid off? Oh, Lord, that would be so neat. But far more wonderful, Lord, is the fact that you've paid the debt that we could never pay. That's our sin debt. Thank you for that, Lord. And if there is that person here today who does not know you personally, move that person, Lord, when our pastor breaks the bread of life to go forward and accept your precious gift of salvation. For it's in the precious name of Jesus that I pray and for his sake.
0: I hope you wrote down those scripture references that Zig gave so that you can investigate for yourself. I encourage you, as always this week, to open up your Bible and see what it has to say to you. Until next week, this is Blake Lindsay encouraging you to live your life to the fullest. Zig Ziglar. Ziglar. Inspiring true performance.